the Bible, uh, John chapter 4 is where we're returning. Uh, we're continuing just in this series, Spirit and Truth, from Wounds to Worship. John chapter 4. Uh, as we've read this text now a few times, I want to just read uh, a few verses in particular before we jump into the sermon. John chapter 4, verse 23. So we, we, we know kind of the context over the last few weeks of the, the narrative here, the story of the woman at the well, Jesus coming to her, wearied as he was, and presenting himself to her as living water, eternal life for her thirsty soul. And then the conversation is drawn out in verse 16 and following as Jesus demonstrates the fact that he knows her inside and out. And even knowing her, still wants her worship. In all her brokenness, in all her sin and woundedness, Jesus wants her worship. And so Jesus states in verse 23, But the hour is coming and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The question that I want to tackle this morning is this. How do we find hope and healing for our deep wounds and our traumatic experiences? Uh, last week, we began to consider the nature of our woundedness. We considered the causes of our wounds. Uh, remember, sometimes it's circumstantial. Things just happen to us. Sometimes it's because others do things to us or fail to do things for us. And sometimes it's our own doing, right? We sometimes cause our own woundedness. We cause our own trauma by what we do or failed to do. So we considered the causes. We also then considered the effect of our woundedness, that we are body, soul, and spirit. And when it comes to trauma, when it comes to woundedness, it has a full being effect, impact upon us. And so our spirit feels it, our psychological, that operating center that tries to make sense out of what's happening physically and spiritually, that feels it, and physically, of course, we feel it as well. Trauma affects us on every layer, layer of our being, and then we began to see the symptoms of trauma, and we're getting practical. You say, this isn't exactly exegetical preaching, all right? Yeah, but we're laying some groundwork, all right, for truly understanding our experience, and so the symptoms of trauma, we identified as that hyperarousal, that fight-or-flight kind of response that's always on, or intrusion, the triggers and the memories that constantly come back, and I just don't seem to have a handle on those things, or emotional constriction, where I only kind of feel life when everything is kind of pushed up, emotionally speaking. So we considered all of this, and while we explored the nature of our woundedness, we began to explore the answer to our woundedness, which is Jesus. Jesus is putting himself forward, even in this text, in this narrative, as the answer to our woundedness. He is, as we saw last week, the word, the equilibrium, right, that sets kind of our vertigo world back in place. He's the 
as the illustration went, the ballast in the boat, where our life might be unsailable. Jesus is the one who is the reference point that sets everything back in its place. Jesus presents himself as the answer to our traumatic experiences and to our woundedness. But more to the point, let's get, let's get down into things a little bit more. How do we find hope and healing for our deep wounds? What's the journey actually look like in terms of processing these things? Well, first and foremost, as we see and as we read, it begins through an intimate relationship with the Father. Verse 23, the Father is seeking people to worship him. And the person who is in view in this narrative is a wounded sinner, a broken woman. Yes, a sinner, but a broken sinner, one who has gone through it, so to speak, when it comes to life. And so this becomes the thrust of the whole narrative. And remember, this is the most prominent narrative in the Gospels. It is the longest. It's given the most attention. And it's to, again, emphasize the point that God is seeking the wounded, wounded sinners to bring all they are to all he is through Jesus. He actually wants, to bring, wants us to bring our brokenness to him. He's inviting it. He wants that relationship. And it's, it's for this woman, it's important to recognize she didn't have to make herself known. She actually had to come to the realization that she was known. She didn't have to go seeking. She had to come to the realization that she was being sought out. There Jesus sits in this context, wearied as he was, running after her. He's coming to us. In fact, God is attracted to the brokenness. He wants in on the brokenness, and he wants to make way for our brokenness to be brought to him. He wants relationship. The only criteria, even as we see in this text, the only criteria for a relationship with the Father is twofold. If you go to verse 10, Jesus begins to demonstrate to the woman that it's actually more simple, right, than what she may seem to think that it is. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given it given you living water. The first qualification or the criteria for this relationship is just for her to acknowledge her woundedness, to recognize I'm in need of what you got. I'm in need of who you are. Jesus is saying, if you knew who I was and what I'm here to offer, the gift of God, you, you'd, you'd be coming and asking. The first step for her in coming into this relationship is simply to acknowledge her woundedness, and that's where Jesus ends up taking her in conversation. He takes her to, to revealing, yes, you're broken. You're hiding your brokenness. When actually I want that brokenness, it's to acknowledge need, but also then second, it's to acknowledge the need, but then to ask, right? The only criteria Acknowledging and asking. All you have to do is ask. This is kind of the simple age-old doctrine of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
It's to say, all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. There's no religious hoops to jump through. There's no cleaning up of ourselves to make us somehow approved with God. This salvation, this relationship with the Father comes absolutely free. Free for the asking. Nothing at your expense, everything at his. This then becomes good news for the, for the wounded sinner. For the one who, you know, perhaps feels like, man, I can never catch a break in this life. Who thinks that the world is kind of a haunting place to even live in. How they feel as though their life might be just destined for demise. This woman, perhaps, all right, I'm on my sixth. And maybe this is just going to fall out as well. Another relationship, another relationship, another relationship, hoping to satisfy some sort of need or some sort of woundedness within. It never satisfies. Well, here's the good news. Jesus comes and says, you don't have to do anything for I've done it all. Acknowledge your need and come and ask. That's the basis for a relationship with the Father. Jesus makes the way open to us. He is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through Jesus. Jesus has made it possible for wounded sinners to enter into intimate relationship with the Father. Now, for those who have gone through significant woundedness, one of the ways in which we might kind of hold back is by thinking, well, this is kind of a bait-and-switch offer it's too good to be true kind of a thing. There must be some underlying thing going on here. I'm just not sure that I should really step into this relationship. And one of the things that we have to recognize is Jesus isn't going to stay in Sychar in Samaria. He's on his way somewhere else to Jerusalem eventually where he's going to give his life for us to make the way for us to enter a relationship with God. And so He's invested himself in our healing. He invested himself in our healing. Therefore, he ain't interested in just messing with you. He's not interested in the bait and the switch, right? He's invested himself in your healing. He's given of himself for your healing. Therefore, he ain't messing around. This is not something that I should stand back and say, eh, I'm just not too sure. It's too good to be true. No, it's to recognize he's given everything so there is no fine print to the deal. But maybe you also would say, you know, I could never live up to such a relationship. Where I've come from, you don't know where I've come from. You don't know the brokenness that I've experienced. I can't just step into this this relationship, this loving father, like this, this is too much. And, and, and to think through the implications of what now I have to be or feel like I have to do in relationship to God, ah, it's just too much for me. Uh, and you guys know the name Jordan Peterson? Yeah. So, you know, he's, he's become a kind of popular figure uh, who's gone viral, if you will. Uh, psychologist, professor, philosopher, uh, brilliant thinker, holds biblical truths in high esteem, you know, uh, but hasn't outright confessed his faith in Jesus. And so um, this 
last couple years, uh, he went through a horrible time in his life, uh, almost losing his life. Uh, and now on the back end of those difficult circumstances, he was recently interviewed. And of course, the question is like, you abide by all these bi biblical principles. Like, have you like stepped forward in faith in who Jesus is? And his whole response was this, if I confess my faith in Jesus, I can't begin to even comprehend what that means for my life. In other words, he's taking this burden upon himself to think, if I step into this relationship and if I confess Jesus, that's going to have massive implications for my life. He's feeling like he has to live up to, to this relationship. And he goes on to say, and, and I, I'm still struggling to recognize reconcile my constant pain. But it's so interesting, at, even as he's saying these words, he's talking about Jesus and weeping. Like speaking truth of Jesus, he is the incarnate God-man, right? Oh my goodness, like there's an unbeliever saying these things and weeping as he's saying these things and saying, I just, I, I, you're, you're watching him struggle in the moment of coming to faith, right? So maybe that's kind of you, like I've gone through so many difficult things, but I just, you know, it's, this means, like, so much for my life if I truly confess, if I step out in faith. Well, folks, we weren't made to control life, shoulder life, without the infinite one at our side, right? Without an open, honest, intimate relationship with the Father. While the Father will call us to change, he will never fail to empower that change. And while the Father will give us more than we can handle, he will never, we will never, we will never have to handle it alone. So the burden doesn't lie with the implications of our faith. The burden lies with the implications of the lack thereof, that I'd have to shoulder life alone, that I'd have to manage my pain alone, that I'd have to curb the evil within alone. That's what we should be concerned with. So this is where hope and healing begins in relationship to the Father through Jesus. So the simple question, and most of you are here because you know him, right? But the question still needs to be stated do you know him? And more importantly, does he know you? And even more importantly than that, does he have you? In terms of all your woundedness, or is it still, as even the picture to our sermon series looks, it's a gate, a gate before you, chained and locked. Are we keeping portions of our life back from him, saying, I can kind of cope with that and still kind of do life? Or have you brought all you are to all he is through Jesus, that's what he desires, intimate, unreserved relationship. That's where everything begins. That's the ground by which hope and healing can come, a relationship with the Father. But now, you guys ready to get into the practical stuff? Stay with me, all right? It's not only through an intimate relationship, but second, through an integrated approach. Oh, here we go, you know, clinical stuff. Um, and, and what I'm simply doing in bringing up this point is outlining kind of what care and counsel might look like for the wounded or the traumatized. Like, what does it look like for me to actually walk out the process of kind of 
acknowledging my woundedness and coming to the point where I'm bringing my woundedness to God. Well, um, this is where I debated, should we get into all the weeds here? If, if, if I'm getting into the weeds about in these next few points, like, I, I'm cool if you just turn me off for a moment and I'll tell you when you need to like zone back in. Um, there are three major approaches to dealing with trauma and woundedness. Um, the three biblical approach, or three approaches, first is biblical counseling, right? So we would be familiar with that in a church uh, setting. It's where scripture is used as kind of the frame of reference for understanding our world and the issues therein. Second is clinical psychology. The focus here is on providing mental and behavioral health care by employing various therapies and medicines. And finally, and most often not identified, is inner healing. So this tends to be more emphasized in charismatic circles where the Holy Spirit is given sway to be the primary counselor and caregiver through the agency of prophetic ministry. Now, of course, there are extremes to each one of these arms of care. There are extremes, there are abuses, but with biblical discernment as our guide, I would propose that we need all three arms. All three arms. Remember, we are body, soul, and spirit, and so it's to realize that we need biblical instruction and care, right? We need the Bible as our frame of reference for understanding who we are, the issues of the world around us. And biblically, we can see that we also need the common grace of therapists and doctors and medicines. One of the illustrations that Scripture will give us is that what Scripture says is that God even teaches the farmer how to plant. He gives a common grace so that even the farmer knows how to like do his duties. Right? So in some sense, more broadly, the reality is this, that he gives common grace to all believer and unbeliever alike to actually benefit society and this world. And therefore, when it comes to therapists and doctors and medicines, this is a wonderful common grace that is given to us so that in moments of kind of the mental and emotional break, there are therapists, doctors, and medicines that are, would be good gifts from God to us, common grace for our care. Do we need to be biblically discerning in all of that? Absolutely, yes, because there are plenty of therapies that tie together all kinds of mysticism and things that would be stand against Scripture. So we have to move forward with biblical discernment in all of this. And finally, do we need inner healing? Do we need the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Do we need prophetic ministry. What Jesus does in this text, John chapter 4, is inner healing. He functions in the gift of prophecy. To know something that only God knows, you say, well, well isn't Jesus God? Like, doesn't he do things different than we do? Like, he has the power and authority to do these things that that we don't have the power and authority to do. And the fact of the matter is Jesus lived his life in his ministry in the complete limitations of man. He didn't pour himself out of his deity. He maintained his godness, and yet he embraced all the limitations of man. And so the question is, well, how did he do all the amazing things that he did? How does he know the situation of this woman at the well? 
by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit empowered him. Who empowers the church today? The Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus followed the will of his Father according to the truth of Scripture through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, guess what Christians get? We get relationship with the Father. We have God's Word to guide us, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus sets a model for the ministry that he calls us to. Should there be biblical discernment brought to inner healing ministry and prophetic ministry? Of course, right? All three of these approaches are necessary. And what you will find if you step into one of these fields is that they tend to push away the other. I think what scripture clearly shows is that we need all three approaches. And so... What I want to do now is just transition to like talking about kind of the, the goal and the process for kind of working through how, how do we begin practically bringing our woundedness to God? How do we begin processing that in relationship to God? The goal in this integrated approach um, can be illustrated by a physical wound. So, uh, when was it? A few weeks ago. We're doing work down in the basement, and I literally drill a screw right into my finger, right? And that's, that, that's what you get when pastors do, like, work down in the basement, you know? Bad things happen. Uh, so, here, here I have, you know, it's bleeding everywhere. I got pieces of uh, metal stuck in my fingers, and I'm pulling that kind of stuff out. And, and so, the immediate, like, moment of trauma, if you will, is just like, you know, the adrenaline is shooting, oh my goodness, and we got to figure something out, and there's pieces hanging there, blood, you know, dripping down, and so it's this immediate emotional experience. Something needs care, right? To then, you know, after a few days, the sensitivity of the moment begins to wear off, and, and yet, in the things that you do, you keep on feeling it. You just keep on feeling the soreness, right? And it's like, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, this is sensitive, this is sensitive, this is sensitive, which, which begins to kind of reorient even how you're doing the normal practical stuff of life. To the point where now, you know, there's a scar there and there's a little sensitivity, but you know, you can, you can mush it around and everything's good. Like, it, you don't feel the pain as you once did. The adrenaline's not there, the ongoing sensitivity is not there. And that, in a real way, could be an illustration of the process of kind of coming to a place of hope and healing from a position of woundedness and trauma. You begin with the sufferer, where you experience the, the suffering in the moment, the adrenaline in the moment from life kind of being put on its head where life has gone through this moment of shock, like everything's crazy, and so you're, you're feeling all the emotional stuff in the moment. But over time, then you kind of move to that survivor position, where, where it's life begins to move forward, and yet there's still these kind of nagging sensitivities. You're carrying some of the emotional weight still, and yet you're, you're getting back to some sort of function within life. And then finally, it's the steward. It's where the woundedness is felt, but it rarely is kind of like upending life. It's rarely getting in the way of 
how you function in life. The scar is there, but the sensitivity is rarely kind of heightened in the moment. So this is kind of the, the goal of this process. It's getting to the point of stewardship, or we would say healing, in which we may bear the scars of our experience, but we live with kind of a renewed sense of purpose through a deeper walk with the Lord. It's important to point, God's not about just process. When it comes to kind of counseling and working through a process of counsel to kind of find hope and healing, God's not just about process. He's not just trying to produce products. He wants to go deeper in relationship to us. That's the point of the text. He's seeking worshipers. He wants to bring us to bring all we are to all he is through Jesus. So he wants us to grow deeper in relationship to him. So this becomes part of the the process. It needs to be set in the context of relationship. And we also need to recognize as a caveat that the process is rarely linear. A, B, C. Okay, we go through the process. Okay, I'm good now. When it comes to trauma, when it comes to our woundedness, it's actually, it's typically a cyclical reality where we learn a little bit. We kind of find some kind of place of being able to function in life. And and yet there's going to be certain things in life that's going to kind of bring up all those things all over again. So you take, for instance, and we, this hits close to home, even with our church family, you take a child who, who may have lost a parent early on. And so while they may process some of that woundedness and grief in the moment, it's going to be those life, significant life experiences, graduation. You know, where's dad? Where's mom? You know, it's going to be those moments, you know, marriage and having your first child and these kind of things, which is going to bring all these things back up. And so we we need to be careful of recognizing that working through our woundedness and trauma just isn't just ABC. Okay, I'm done. I can move on. But that is going to be a cycle. We're going to carry something of that trauma and that woundedness through the situations of life, needing then to continue to be bringing those things to God. So what does the process then look like? I'm going to give you five quick points, maybe quick. (laughs) Again, I'm trying to just get at the practical stuff. Maybe this is overkill. Uh, But nonetheless, I I want to give you things to be able to think about and give you category for. So what does the process practically look like in pursuing hope and healing? First is establishing safety. When life has been upended through significant wounding and we're feeling kind of that fight or flight kind of stuff going on in our hearts and lives, we need to think about what wisdom looks like in moving forward, right? And this is going to often then involve like finding one or two people that I can feel safe with bringing my woundedness before, right? Individuals that that I know will lovingly listen to me who will graciously challenge me, but who will also give me room to walk at a pace that's kind of practical for me, right? So, so that's, that's all a part of establishing safety, that I can bring my stuff to others, while at the same time, part of safety is going to be a responsibility on our, on our own shoulders, because we are body and spirit and soul, what, what's going to happen is the stuff that we carry is going to have an emotional and physical kind of burden upon us. We are going to be exhausted. And so 
when it comes to the moment of sharing our stuff with others, stepping in to the risk of bringing our stuff to others, we need to be careful to ensure that like, we've tended to our own physical well-being. That we're not just binge-watching Netflix all night before coming into a context like that, or that we're eating wrong, or, or those kind of things, but that we're actually tending to ourselves, preparing to enter into a situation we, where we can begin sharing with a few others. So part of the responsibility is on our own shoulders to establish safety. Second, then, is to explore the meaning that you assign to your story. After we've gone through that initial you know, emotional response to our trauma and woundedness, life has been upended. It's like all the stuff of life is just in the air. It's just a mess. But we eventually get to the point where like, all the mess lands. And there we are. We're past the initial adrenaline of the moment. Uh, and now it's all these broken pieces that are sitting around me. And that's where I immediately begin assigning meaning to what has happened in my life. Do you know that you are a theologian, whether you want to be or not? <laughs> you, you, you will make meaning of the mess of your life in one way or another. You, you are a theologian. Now, as, as Diane Langberg, she, she, she says um, that trauma can shatter an entire worldview in less time than it takes for trauma to occur. It's what trauma does. It takes the stuff that you think to be true, boom, shatters it. And now you're left kind of through the, after the adrenaline, the emotional moments of it all, of, of now assessing things and beginning to like try to develop another worldview. Okay, what is true after I've gone through what I've gone through? And we begin to assign meaning. And of course, the themes that we oftentimes work through and assigning meaning are themes centered on God. Is God good? Why do you think we sing songs that have to do with God's goodness again and again? Because it's good for us to wrestle. Those are, as we call them, they're faith fighter songs. We want to fight for faith when it comes to the goodness of God. Is God good? Does God care? Is God able to do anything about the mess that stands now before me. You know, it's, it's even why the stories that we have in the Gospels are so pertinent to us. They're narrative, they're stories, they're to kind of like be able to be put upon our own lives so that when we start trying to make meaning of the mess that's around us, we can look to the stories in Scripture and be like, oh yeah, there's others who had mess and had brokenness. And here's what it looked like for them to encounter their God, their God who seems to be yeah, good, who does care, who enters into the mess and is at work doing things about it. So it's God themes that we'll start assigning meaning to. Is he good? Does he care? Is he able to do anything? We'll also then be working through me themes, identity themes. Perhaps it's after going through something, I deserve this. We take on the shame and the guilt of the situations around us. Or maybe we just think, you know, my, my life is just bad luck. I'm bad luck. I'm accident prone. It's just my, my life is the life that is going to be taken out if any life is going to be taken out. So we tend to begin thinking that, yes, I deserve this and I'm just bad luck. Or it's other 
others themes, right? Where we look at others and begin to say, no, it's, it's their fault, or they're unsafe, or they don't care about me. Or, of course, it can be general life themes. Life is meaningless. Life is just utterly meaningless with all the hard things that I've gone through. So it's important, again, to just have a safe place with another or a few others where you can honestly talk out these thoughts. It's important for us to be able to identify the meaning that we're actually assigning to our story so that we can truly begin to articulate our hearts and begin to mourn. And that's third, to mourn the evil and receive God's care. Now, obviously, in a context where we can speak honestly about how we might be assigning meaning to our suffering, we are, in fact, beginning to mourn the suffering. Right? This is, again and again, what we have in Scripture, whether it's the book of Psalms or whether it's Lamentations, for instance. We have Scripture that actually gives, gives us words, even, to bring accusations against God. Realize that even the psalmist, they're bringing accusations against God. God, you're not good. God, you're, you, you've brought about difficulty into my life. Aren't you, aren't you going to do anything about it? Like, the psalms give us voice to mourn and to lament. It's, it's that process of wrestling through the, 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 pro, the process of trying to bring meaning to my story. Is God, it's wrestling with all those things. Scripture gives quite quite a bit of license to do so, but we have to be careful. There is biblical mourning and there is unbiblical mourning. What's the difference? What's the difference between kind of a healthy mourning and an unhealthy mourning or grief? Well, biblical mourning is always speaking honestly. As messy as it might be, it speaks honestly, but it does so as a way to fight for joy and renewed faith in God. So Psalm 88, there ain't nothing good about Psalm 88. It doesn't end on this high note, you know, oh God, you are so good. It just doesn't, it doesn't give you any kind of license to go there. It's just, everything's bad. The only redeeming reality is that the psalmist is bringing it to God. And that's the whole point. He's fighting for joy and for renewed faith in God by bringing all his thoughts and the challenging things that's going through his mind and his heart. He's bringing it all to God. The Father is seeking such worshipers. Saying, come to me. Bring all your wrestlings. That's biblical mourning. That's biblical grief. Unbiblical grief would be where we bring all that stuff to God without any desire to move toward him, where we stand resistant to joy, where we actually stand in a defiant skepticism. It's where our mourning isn't moving us towards God, it's just kind of casting stones at God. Now, for many, this has been my struggle when it comes to issues of mourning. Have you ever wondered, did I mourn enough? Have you, have you ever been there? Did I, did, I, did, I mourn, did I go through this mourning thing, you know, uh, enough? And, and so it's an abstract reality, and, and yet I think mourning has come to a conclusion when we're ready to hear God's voice rather than our complaints, right? 
It's where we finally kind of surrender. Okay, God, I'm exhausted from complaining to you. (laughs) I just want to hear you. Like, come now and have voice in my story. You, You begin to assign meaning to what has happened here. Right? So mourning tends to come to that conclusion of saying, all right, I'm, I'm done complaining. Now I need you. Speak, Lord. And this takes us to the fourth step, of course, of exploring the meaning that God assigns to your story. This doesn't, it's, we have to be so careful. When God begins assigning meaning to the stuff of, of life, this does not erase the wounds. Right? He doesn't assign meaning to like erase the things that have happened to us. Rather, it simply informs them with truth. It doesn't undo the trauma, it informs the trauma. It informs the themes that we inevitably wrestle with. So then, the questions that we need to go back to are, okay, so who am I now? God, speak. For the woman at the well, As a wounded sinner, she was no longer defined by her experience, but who she was in Christ was certainly shaped by her experience. Right? The trauma wasn't gone. The memories weren't gone. But because of Jesus, she now saw these things inevitably different. It's the idea of being jars of clay, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians or uh, 1 Corinthians, where we are weak, kind of broken down pots, but strong enough in our identity in Christ to acknowledge it. Right? We, We come to it, here's who I am. I'm weak. I'm just a clay pot. But it's through all the brokenness that the glory of God can shine forth and prove itself. That's why Paul says, I will boast in my weakness. Why? So that God's grace might be seen all the more. Like, I I will acknowledge that I'm not altogether right. I'm not glorified. I still got the cracks. I still got the brokenness. And yet, God is saying that in Christ, I can be strong enough to acknowledge that I'm weak. But of course... It's also to recognize that even in my weakness, God doesn't render me powerless. Right? To acknowledge that I'm weak, God is not saying, okay, you don't have any power now. He's actually saying, no, you you have the responsibility to make decisions. You, You have now the right to begin applying wisdom to your situation. This is who you are now. You're not just left to the mess. You are left to a God who comes into the mess and says, yes, you are broken, but there is a way forward with me. This is who our God is. This is who he has made us to be. Now, the question of who is God? Well, John 4, he's the God who's near. Where's God in all my brokenness? In all my, well, he's near to the brokenhearted. Jesus is coming after the woman at the well. If you remember from the beginning of the story, he had to go to Sychar. This was divine obligation to meet the wounded sinner who was at the well. Who is God? He is the God 
who is near. He is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is near to us. This is our God. And he is water for the thirsty soul. That's who Jesus says. Hey, I will give you living water. I will satisfy your heart when your heart is thirsty. Jesus is the one who is near to us. He is the one who satisfies the thirst of our souls. He is the one who leads us. He pioneers the way through our suffering. He is the one who won't stay in John chapter 4, but will move to Jerusalem and there give his very life even to eliminate our suffering. And eliminate, again, our suffering, not in the sense that, oh, he erased trauma. One day when he wipes our tears from our eyes, it will not be, oh, I don't remember the brokenness anymore. But the point will be that I now see it totally differently. I see it with God's glory upon it, right? I see it through the lens of all that Jesus has done for me. We'll see our trauma, but we will see it differently. So this is who I am. This is who our God is. And what does that mean for me now? Well, I'm on a journey where I'm not alone, where I can slowly begin to take hope again, where I can slowly begin to exercise steps of faith again, where I can even begin to perhaps even serve others again. I'm on a journey and I'm not alone. This is how we explore the meaning that God assigns to our story. And then finally, we're called to persevere in God's story. And what does that look like? Well, it's simply to intentionally kind of treasure the lessons that we're learning through the journey. Right? You, you know you're, you're coming into a place from suffering to stewardship to healing when you begin to recognize that through the journey there's things, man, I, I get to be thankful for. I'm not so consumed with the, the pain and the trauma of the situations that happen, but now I'm actually able to treasure the journey and see what God has been doing through the journey. To persevere in God's story is to have eyes to say, I want to see God's grace at work in my life and treasure those moments. Um, it's also where we continue to steward our bodies and our souls, right? We want to be careful as we've gone through difficult things that we're not just kind of throwing our bodies away, right? But stewarding our bodies and what we eat and what kind of sleep we take uh, on. Uh, we want to be careful. And we need to be nourishing our spirits as well with the truth of God's word, a continual appetite for the things of the Lord, a regular discipline, both of body and spirit. Also, then, it's to continue to confront the feelings of being unsafe. You know, I, you know, I told you a little bit about my story in terms of just, like, the shyness. I remember being in college, and there's a corridor walking. I could walk this way, or I could walk that way to get to class, and I would look down the path and see who's down there, who's coming my direction. And depending on who that was, I would sometimes be like, I'm heading the other way. Why? Because I, there, there was something about the interaction that just caused fear in my heart. Right? It, it, so I'm, I'm divert. It's flight, not fight, right? I, I'm, I'm going elsewhere. 
But the journey of healing and kind of confronting the, the fears was to actually say, all right, Lord, I'm trusting you're near. I'm trusting in your approval of me, not theirs, right? So I'm going to intentionally walk this way. It feels unsafe. And yet I'm going to intentionally walk this way. And whatever conversations, things happen, I'm going to trust. If you want me to be a fool for your sake, trip over my words, not know what to say, not know what to do in the moment, then whatever, Lord, you'd be glorified in it, but I feel unsafe. You know, that's the journey of just kind of persevering in God's story. It's to say, like, God, I feel unsafe, but I'm going to begin exercising faith, saying, like, God, I know you're near. I know you're calling me to step forward and serve. Small steps, but nonetheless, that can be the progression of learning to just persevere in God's story, where you are to take small steps. One of the beauties of who our God, he's a patient God. He's not trying to push you through a process. Like all of life is a process, for crying out loud, right? So taking small steps and being intentional about them, rather than just living in the frazzle of the, of the world and the experience, or trying to push through to just become something religious and whole. God says, no, just abide by the process. I'll be patient with you. I'll be careful with you. Now, in all of this, as we close, you may say, you know, where's the clinical side? Where's the inner healing side? You know, where do these components fit in? Well, obviously, in evaluation and counsel, uh, you're thinking through whether or not the clinical side is necessary. And when you get stuck in this process of the five points, there can sometimes be um, spiritual baggage that, that, that's at work in these things, both by way of history or f unforgiveness and these kind of matters. And sometimes it's helpful to just have some folks come around again in a safe context and allow the spirit to lead in, in bringing clarity to situations and how things are to connect and, and to demonstrate how God knows us, as 1 Corinthians 14 uh, would point out. So I want to just conclude with this particular passage, Romans 8, as a way to just kind of encourage your hearts. Um, it states, in all these things, in all the hard stuff of life, in all the persecution, in all the woundedness, in all the trauma, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Like, after stating all that stuff, now we can go here. <laughs> it seems cheap when, they, when, when you begin with that kind of scripture. Oh, we're more than conquerors, don't worry about it. No, no, no. It's, it's after saying all that we've said that we can finally come to these glorious truths that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angel, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a promise. When he has you, he keeps you. And through him, we are overcomers. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are near to us. We thank you that you are patient with us. We thank you that you don't just leave us kind of stuck away, kind of in our, own, in our own troubles, but you call us out. You're seeking us. You're coming to us. 
And so, God, thank you that you are faithful. You are faithful to us time and time again. And, Lord, I pray particularly for those who may find themselves kind of battling wounds and trauma even in this season. Lord, I I pray that you would kind of give them eyes to see just kind of the, the meaning that they're assigning to their own life. God, I pray that you would grant something of even the ability to mourn, to, to, to bring uh, the, their struggles and pains before you as a way to, yes, pursue joy, fight for joy, fight for faith in you. And God, would it be that truth would be a mainstay that what you say of them and what you say of their circumstances and what you say that you're doing with those circumstances would ultimately be that which informs their pains and their hurts. And God, would you give us, even as a church, um, both patience with one another as well as just wisdom on how to do ministry and life together as we go through difficult things. So teach us, we pray. Instruct us. Spirit of God, you, you are the one who leads us into all truth. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just do that for us, that you would lead us in these matters of seeing wounds be brought to a place of worship. That all we are would be brought to all you are through Jesus. God, we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Well, we're not done yet, as long as that might have been. Um, We are going to take communion together, and as a way to take communion together, uh, Larry is going to be brought into membership this morning. Um, So we'll we'll grab the elements together, and then um, we'll go through the affirmations, and after the affirmations, uh, we'll take communion together as a symbol of sharing in Christ. Uh, with one another. So I encourage you to stand, come on forward, grab the elements, turn to your seats, and then jump into it. begin the process of trying to open this up. (laughs) Any initial things you'd like to share? Any initial things you'd like to share? Yeah. Yeah. and give me a stop piece.
Yeah, so if you have any words, feel free to. First of all, I'd like to um, just like to say that to thank everyone and to um, and to praise God for for being able to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've been with a bunch of churches in my life for one reason or another. Um, I really feel as though when I walk through here, I sound like you're home. Uh, I feel I really feel as if uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ here. And first welcome and I felt welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I also felt that um, the speakers being preached here and encouragement from Randall correctly and, and to all the elements, just everything came in here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just praise God and, and thank all of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Larry has been an incredible blessing um, since he even kind of connected uh, with us. Um, we've been meeting on Tuesdays for months now um, at that point, at this point. And uh, so it's been a rich blessing of just sitting around the table and receiving wisdom. He's had a unique history from kind of church to church and various experiences there. And so we've benefited from receiving Larry's wisdom, um, as well as Larry's a guy who loves the word, who knows the word. Um, and beyond that is eager to ensure that this neighborhood and beyond hears something of the truth of Jesus. He's one who just kind of burns with kind of a heart for evangelism. And so uh, even as one who's jumping into our church family, um, it's one of the ways in which we would love to kind of benefit from the desires and the unction that God has put on his heart to see uh, folks come to faith, and so we've talked about just ways that we can kind of stir mission even here, ways that we can connect with our community and whatnot, and so it's one of the ways I think uh, we'll see Larry kind of serving us as well as serving the purposes of the Lord and seeing others come to faith. So Larry, as you've sought God's direction for your life, have read the church's constitution and bylaws, which is always a pleasant experience, right? <laughs> As you've attended the membership classes and agreed to abide by the relational commitments, do you desire to become a member of Mercy Gate Church? I do. And as a member of this church, do you intend to joyfully contribute towards its its mission to make followers of Jesus Christ as God makes it possible for you? I do. If at any time your life is out of harmony with the word of God, do you invite the church to lovingly pursue your restoration for your good, the church's purity, and ultimately for God's glory? I do. Amen. All right, congregation, members, do you commit to help Larry as a new member walk in faith and serve through love for God's glory for the good of our city? Amen. 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 Well, as a way to symbolize what's taking place here, we have the bread, and the wine, if you will. It's not actual wine. Um, But 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16, reminds us, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. So this 
symbolizes and points us to the reality that Jesus together has made us one. Let's take and eat. Now, Lord, we, we pray uh, your blessing upon Larry. Lord, Lord, thank you. Thank you for how you grow uh, your church, how you add members to your body. Thank you even as um, your word describes that we are together just kind of different members of like a body, the hands and the feet. And so, God, we, we pray um, that as... Uh, Larry has stepped into membership, Lord, we do pray that um, there would be something of unction granted to him to serve uh, the broader body. Uh, And Lord, let it be that it both is an encouragement to us as your people, as well as, Lord, that it would advance the mission in seeing more members brought uh, to your body. And so, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for the giftedness um, you're, you're, the manifestations of your spirit through one another. That's a radical uh, encouragement. So God, thank you for Larry. Thank you for how he's already been that to us, but thank you for the opportunity now to formalize it. And Jesus, thank you that we get to participate in you together. We get to share in Jesus together and all the promises and all the blessings therein. So God, what a, what a wonderful fellowship, a communion, a koinonia that we get to uh, join in together and benefit from. So Lord, we honor you. We thank you. We pray your blessing again upon Larry. Stir up his gifts, Lord, for the good of your body and for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome, man.
Thessalonians chapter 5 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to all of you.